Welcome to another Portfolio Profile episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. We're going to talk to another exciting company that the Ride Home Fund, that the Mutant Podcast Army has invested in. Uh, today, we're going to talk to Cognitive Talent Solutions, which is a really fascinating sort of product in space. And uh, we're going to talk to Francisco Marin, who is the founder of CTS. Uh, Francisco, thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Brian. Really excited to be here today. Well, uh, easiest way to start is uh, give me the two minutes sort of uh, not elevator pitch, but just describe um, what what CTS does and um, basically what this sort of again, I'm mentioning this is an interesting space, what this sort of kind of product does. Sure. So CTS is a people analytics company based in Palo Alto. Um, and we focus our activity on organizational network analysis, also known as ONA. And ONA is a people analytics method that allows companies to analyze and visualize the informal interactions that exist within the organization. We leverage active data sources like online surveys and uh, passive data sources like Office 365 and Slack to understand the informal networks of interactions that exist within companies. And we can do things like identifying who are the informal leaders in the organization, uh, identify organizational silos and bottlenecks, or monitor employees' burnout risk. And we apply this across a variety of areas, such as change management, leadership development, and diversity and inclusion, among other things. So for example, when companies have to implement strategic change initiatives, um, they can position these informal leaders as early adopters and accelerate and increase strategic change adoption in a significant manner instead of having those informal leaders creating resistance against those changes. Um, another common use case is onboarding. So when new hires join the organization, especially in the context of hybrid work models, um, actually new hires that join in um, remote work models have 60% fewer interactions than new hires that join uh, on site. So by positioning informal leaders as bodies and mentors of those new hires, you can shorten the time to productivity of those new hires. In other words, the time that they need to reach an optimal level of productivity, you can uh, reduce their uh, turnover risk and enhance their overall employee experience. Um, another common use case is leadership development. So actually two thirds of high-performing employees are not recognized as informal leaders by their peers. So by considering both human and social capital metrics when identifying uh, high-potential employees in leadership development programs, you can change the leadership development pipeline by up to 70%. So that's some of the work that we do with uh, Fortune 500 companies across a variety of sectors, such as uh, real estate, uh, security, and biotech, among others. So essentially, what you're describing is a system for um, an organization to essentially take the temperature of its existing talent and, and human capital and have an understanding of how it actually functions, like, like where communications go, where sales go, who are the leaders, who are, who are the people that maybe are the laggards or whatever. But essentially, it gives you uh a dashboard or a map of what your what your team is actually like uh i'm assuming at, at basically any size team 
Well, the larger the better, but we've done projects with both uh, small, medium, and large companies. Um, and yeah, you're right. It as Rob Cross puts it, it acts as an X-ray technology that allows to see what's going on in the organization with an unprecedented level of detail. Um, and uh, there was a an, another thought leader that explained it, it shows who is showing up in the organization. That's another way of of looking at it. But there's really something deeper going on there. So. So far, most of the organizations uh, have been assessing the performance of their employees almost exclusively based on the so-called human capital metrics. Things like, um, uh, for example, educational background or hard and soft skills, um, or for example, uh, years of service. Uh, and what we're proposing with organizational network analysis is to generate social capital metrics uh, that are reflecting the informal interactions that you create in an organic way across the organization. For example, who you reach out to when you need technical or personal support, who you share information with, who inspires you inside of the organization, or how are you collaborating organically across a variety of uh, tools like Slack, Office 365, Jira, uh, GitHub, or Jammer. Um, so, that that combination of human and social capital metrics uh, is used to inform decision making uh, across a variety of areas in the organization. So it's essentially like, on the one hand, it, like it, what what we're what we're describing is the ability to analyze the sort of the, the actual cultural structure of of your team. Uh, in ways that if you were if you were an employee, you would know, well, of course, you know, Sarah over there's a super high performer and and Joe over there is, you know, he's he's probably burned out and he's struggling. And so uh, it, it gives you like tangible ways and actionable ways to see things that maybe it would almost be you'd have that knowledge informally and even in management maybe you wouldn't have it because it's all anecdotal and maybe you wouldn't have access to that because you are in management but it sort of makes that sort of knowledge of how your culture actually functions um sort of stops it from being opaque exactly it sheds light on the informal reality of the organization with which especially now with the adoption of hybrid work models where part of the organization is working from home it's really difficult for managers to to understand and, and analyze um, and obviously when we talk about uh, monitoring the digital footprint in tools like office 365 and uh, jira or github uh, data privacy is a top concern so we are actually one of the few vendors in the industry um, that refuses to analyze the digital footprint at individual level. So, for example, when we use uh, active data sources like online surveys, yeah, we can analyze the data at individual level because the employees provide the consent to participate in the survey. They can revoke it at any time and, and they have uh, access to the data protection officer to solve any questions that they have. But when we monitor the digital footprint of tools like Office, Office 365, we use APIs that do not grant us access to the content of the communications, and we only analyze the data at aggregate level, meaning at department level or team level, but not at individual level. But uh, conversely, if if I wanted to implement this at my organization, it is sort of a plug and play into your existing 
apps or environments where people are actually working. Like you're saying Jira, GitHub, Slack, whatever. Like it, it, if I wanted to implement this, it is sort of a turnkey sort of solution where I it works with wherever I'm currently working. Yes, yes. Uh, different organizations work with uh, with different uh, co uh, uh, collaborative tools. Uh, but yeah, we plug both active and passive data sources into our SaaS platform, which is called uh, Cognitive Network Analyzer. And this way we can analyze and visualize these informal networks of interactions and we can provide uh, a series of recommendations on specific interventions. Um, you mentioned that you're one of the, in this industry, you're one of the folks that is trying to take the lead in terms of preserving uh, privacy and things like that. Um, who would you describe as you know, competitors in the space? How how old is this space in terms of um, this is a product that that provides a tool for for management to understand their organizations? Well, that's an interesting question because the field of organizational network analysis. Um, I mean, you can find literature from 1993, from Harvard Business Review, for example, but it, it, it always um, remained kind of like in an academic environment. But over the last years, because of the progress in data visualization techniques and, and, and data analytics in, in general, um, there has been an increase in adoption in corporate environments based on the Based on all the latest reports from Mercer, already 44% of companies use ONA on a regular basis. The challenge is that many of these companies leverage uh, um, open source libraries and that are very difficult to scale across the organization. So all the challenges that we solve is to help them move beyond a pilot and integrate these social capital metrics across the whole organization on a regular basis. What's your... Uh... What's your entrepreneurial story? What's what, what's your background? Is this your first rodeo in terms of um, being a founder, or where, where where did you get turned on to? I guess this as as a, a startup idea. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I come originally from Spain, from a city in the south of Spain called Cordoba. Um, uh, I used to work at IBM in uh, Bratislava, Slovakia. Uh, along with uh, the other two co-founders and with our CTO. So my background is in um, uh, project management and process improvement. I am a certified Lean Six Sigma black belt, and I used to work at IBM as business analytics leader for the sales transaction support operations in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, the leadership team at CTS consists of four people. Um, so the three co-founders are Katerina, Victor, and myself. Katerina and Victor come from Slovakia. Uh, Katerina used to work as a team leader and as a Lean Sisima black belt. Uh, Victor is a data scientist. And uh, Luca, our CTO, um, he has a background in both technical development and, and leadership. Um, so while working in, in, in this Fortune 500 company, we... Um, were exposed to the challenges that large organizations face when implementing uh, large-scale change initiatives. And initially, we thought that the main challenge was that companies were struggling to anticipate uh, which employees were more likely to, to, to leave. That's why when we started CTS, actually, we were focusing on predictive talent retention, applying predictive analytics to anticipate um, who was most, most likely to leave and 
proactively work on mitigating that attrition risk. But as we scaled the company, we realized that the some of the issues were deeper than that. And that one of the main challenges is that when companies were implementing these uh, large-scale initiatives, the early adopters that they were uh, identifying, sometimes they did not possess the informal influence needed to drive change adoption. Um, so, for example, if you're implementing agile methodologies, it's very important we position as uh, agile champions. If, he, if it's a cultural change, uh, you may want to leverage these informal leaders as um, cultural ambassadors. If you're implementing uh, SAP, it would be the sub-super users. So these early adopters have different names in different uh, initiatives, but the concept is the same in the end. If only 3% of informal leaders can influence up to 85% of the remaining population based on recent research and increase change adoption or accelerate change adoption by up to 70%. But if you don't identify these informal leaders, uh, the informal leaders ex still exist in the organization and they can use their influence to create resistance against those changes you are trying to imp implement. And that's a challenge that, that many, many companies, especially large organizations, are facing on a regular basis, that they are not fully aware of it or they don't have the tools and resources to properly ad ad address it. Uh, how long have you been working on this? Like, when uh, when did you take the leap into we're going to try to scale this out as a company ourselves? When did you get the sort of MVP together? Uh, how, how, how many years have, have, has the team been working on this? So the company was founded in uh, 2018, um, in August of 2018. Um, so we've been with this for uh, three, four years. Um, and yeah, it's been really a very challenging journey. When you transition from a corporate to a startup environment, um, one of the first things you need to learn is how to deal with uncertainty on a regular basis. You don't have a, a fixed salary. Um, you don't have any manual of instructions on, on how to scale up the company, especially in our case. Um, this is the first time uh, we were founding a company and we didn't have anybody in our network that had this type of experience. Um, so first months were completely freestyle mode. Um, and it's really challenging because you have to learn how to speak to clients, to partners, to investors. And I think one of the key challenges is how you make uh, top talent gravitate around the company. Uh, and I consider myself lucky because I think we have assembled a great team of people. Um, we count with really seasoned uh, professionals. For example, Diane Gerson, the former CHRO of IBM, um, who is currently a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, or Francis Flynn, who is a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford University. Um, so these people, are, are, along with um, with the early team members, have really made a, a very significant difference. Angelo Del Priore, uh, who is the partner at HP Tech Ventures, has helped us a lot and actually got us in touch together as, as I remember. Right. That's right, yes. Yeah. So th and those those are the people in the end really make a difference as you scale up the organization. You have to partner with other people to make things happen because you realize you're very limited uh, in, in many, many areas. Well, also, you know, one of the things that I when I when I talk to to companies that are going to market in various markets is is one thing, but going to market as as cognitive talent solutions is clearly into the enterprise market. Um, 
I imagine that you, you know, you you were describing the team has backgrounds at IBM. So I would assume that you have some sort of a, a background in what that means. Um, it's it's one thing to go out and find customers. It's another thing to go out and convert large enterprise customers. So I'm just curious if you have any insights or best practices for going to market with something new where it's not just getting one individual to you know sign up for a subscription to something or what it's about trying to convince a large organization to uh, adopt something for hundreds or thousands of of their team members is is there is there sort of any philosophy that you have in terms of approaching the enterprise market yeah we believe that um organic interactions are always way more effective. And um, for example, a key part of our strategy uh, has been to partner with uh, consulting firms and uh, IT platforms to uh, gain greater access to key stakeholders. The market is super saturated. And uh, I mean, I I don't disclose anything new when I say that uh, most of us receive every day uh, multiple emails or cold calls or messages on LinkedIn. So what people really are looking for in the end is uh, genuine thought leadership and, uh, you know, working with people that they can trust and they respect. And in that regard, uh, sometimes we have companies that proactively reach out to us because we have written an article or we have uh, appeared in some event talking about ONA, but it's really a very educational process. It's a very educational sale. Uh, so we really focus a lot on spreading the word about the benefits of ONA, educating the market and partnering with thought leaders that uh, can explain this to our clients in, in, in a way that they can understand it. And uh, we do a lot of work with uh, HR stakeholders, but also with non-HR stakeholders, people in the uh, IT department, in the finance department. Um, and I think that's a recurring trend in people analytics where step-by-step, uh, fewer and fewer projects take place in the HR space and more and more projects are taking place in other parts of the organization. But I, w- I would say some of the main lessons learned for us was that first of all, we need to identify the business need that we are addressing for each organization specifically. So when working with Fortune 500 companies, each company is its own universe and they have different needs. For example, we were working with uh, Fortune 500 in the biotech space and their focus was um, shortening the time to productivity of new hires in the context of adopting uh, hybrid work models. So we have to explore this particular use case, uh, explain to them how ONA can create value in this context. And then it's critical to get access to an executive uh, sponsor that has access to budget, but also believes in this initiative. Because the cycle time in the B2B space in general is really long. It can take anywhere from six to 18 months. So unless you work with somebody that is really motivated and somebody that genuinely believes in, in the in the benefits of this technology, it's difficult to um, effectively navigate the whole process of onboarding a Fortune 500 company. 
When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation, where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using. Employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Real talk. 52% of men over 40 experience some form of ED between the ages of 40 and 70. But it's always been a taboo topic. Thankfully, Hims is changing that by providing affordable access to ED treatment all online. Hims provides access to clinically proven generic alternatives to Viagra and Cialis up to 95% cheaper with options as low as $2 per dose. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor's visits. Answer a series of questions on their site and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No insurance needed. Pay one low price for your treatments, online visits, ongoing shipments, and provider messaging. Hims has hundreds of thousands of trusted subscribers, so if ED is getting you down, it's time to change that. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash ride. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash ride for your personalized ED treatment options. Hims dot com slash ride. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Uh, a few questions here that uh, just to broader things that, that maybe you might have insights to. Beginning with, you mentioned that one of the use cases that CTS can provide uh, for clients is managing things like remote work or managing things like specifically right now, uh, returning to the office and, uh, you know, sort of like that, again, the, the sort of culture clash or like the the sort of deciding you know, if teams can mesh together in, in various contexts. Um, from from what you've seen with the clients you're servicing right now, and, and I'm going to reference, um, I don't know that I have these statistics right, but I, I saw a story recently, and I might even have done it on the show, about how, um, you know, in, in tech circles or in like, let's say, coastal cities and hubs like that, um, maybe the return to work is 40 to 60% return to the office. Whereas in, in other places, it might be as high as 90. Um, is, is what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to sort of poke towards here is what are you seeing in terms of the adoption of remote, the adoption of hybrid or the sort of charge to fully return to the office uh, generally? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, uh, as you have pointed, it's not really a homogeneous process. Uh, so different companies are uh, returning to the office 
uh, at different speeds and uh, in different ways. But definitely, this is a top priority for many companies out there. And the way we we help companies um, manage uh, the return to the office in a more effective and efficient way is by shedding light on the internal collaboration dynamics uh, and comparing those internal collaboration dynamics between remote uh, teams and on-site teams. This is critical because you need to understand, for example, how the response time varies between both setups, how the burnout risk varies. Um, one of the interesting things we have observed is that when people work from home, uh, they tend to work a higher number of hours outside of working hours. And uh, even if you don't do a lot of transactional work outside of working hours, the fact that you are uh, paying attention to the phone or to the laptop because you are waiting for an email to come, that prevents you from disconnecting from work. And that's created this kind of like always on mentality that has a very serious uh, impact uh, at, at psychological level on, on, on employees. And it's a main contributor to, to burnout risk. So companies need to be aware of these dynamics and need to uh, have objective data that can inform uh, mitigation plans and mitigation actions when needed. But if you uh, don't have visibility on those internal collaboration dynamics of people that are working from home, it's really difficult to improve the situation because you cannot improve anything you cannot measure. So that's uh, part of the work we're doing with with companies. Then there is um, there are some companies that have a focus on leadership development, diversity and inclusion. Uh, but the return to the office is an umbrella use case that cover many of these other use cases. Do um, in the data, uh, are you seeing? That they're because what you're trying to provide companies is like this is the most efficient or effective way to operate and and here's the numbers that prove this or that is is there uh, given the three options remote hybrid or back to the office is there one that your data shows is better or is it as you said it's very case by case sort of company by company specific well a, an interesting thing we are observing is that um, younger employees. Um, prefer to work more time from the office, mm. whereas uh, all their employees uh, are more comfortable working from home. Potential that, root cause I, here. I've seen, I've seen stories uh, recently that have said similar things that like the youngest employees are hungry uh, uh, to return to the office. Uh, it, it, and that, that makes sense to me because it is, I mean, especially early in your career, like the ability to network and the ability to to get guidance and 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 education and like sort of mentoring and training like i would feel like that that that's harder remote do you exactly. see that yeah exactly yes yes we we see that but ultimately um what we focus is on the informal interactions that are created uh when working remotely or or from the office and what we notice for example is that when people work from home um it is more likely that the organization will have a series of organizational silos and bottlenecks where you have maybe a group of people that don't interact with each other, but don't interact with the rest of the organization. And, and, and the potential to leverage AI power technology to mitigate the situation is really, is really amazing. For example, um, one of the things we do with our implementation is that we can 
identify these organizational silos and bottlenecks. We can analyze their composition and we can uh, determine based on artificial intelligence who are the people that should be connected between the silos to, to mitigate their existence. And this introduction can be made based on peer introduction technology in a way that the algorithm will automatically introduce uh, the two people via email and schedule a meeting based on their availability. Um, so the combination of organizational network analysis and AI-powered algorithms is really powerful. But ultimately also, the value of ONA, it's in its complementarity when combined with existing processes. Um, so when we have a system, for example, to uh, identify high potential employees or to, um, for example, identify uh, early change adopters, uh, the goal is not to replace the, the way that organizations are operating at the moment, but to provide additional data points to support those decision-making processes. Well, and to that end, um, you know, as, as you're describing, you just provide the data and it's up to companies to act on that data in the way that is most efficacious for them. But let, let, me, let me give you just one, one quick example of something that I've always wondered which is, there's a team that's siloed that you, as you describe it, or or a bottleneck in the organization, but they're very high functioning, very high performing. Um, based on the, the data that you've seen, based on experiences of your clients, is it, <laughs> you, you, you almost want to say, well, if it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Except for the fact that that high performing team that maybe is bringing in the best sales or doing the best uh, development or whatever, if they're sort of breaking your overall organization, is it, is, is that a good thing? Like, so I guess my overall question is based on your experiences, if you have a team that is insular, but functional, is it better to try to bring them into your overall organization so that maybe they can spread their ideas that are successful? Or is it better to just leave them alone and whatever works for them works and just let it happen? So it all depends on the context, right? So um, there are some situations where um, teams need to be insulated. For example, if there are teams that are working with uh, highly confidential information, and, and you really don't want those people to interact with anybody else across the organization. Or, um, yeah, it, it, it needs to be put into a context, right? But um, I'm a big believer in of, observing the organic collaboration dynamics that exist within the organization and use them to your advantage. So if you uh, highlight a person that has been for a short period of time in the organization that doesn't have a formal leadership role, however, um, has been able to develop in a short period of time a wide network across the organization in a way that is in the top 20% of most influential people in the organization. This is something that you should notice and you should uh, give this person the tools and resources to um, amplify that uh, impact that the person can have in the, in the, in the company. And that's something, unfortunately, that um, it's not visible to top management, especially in very large organizations. And especially with, with young people uh, that are eager to, to make an impact, if you don't spot these top talents early enough and give them the tools and resources they need, they end up leaving the organization. And that's, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, also, the, 
because we are we are touching here different use cases and it can become a little bit technical but i want to share what really excites me about networks and the reason why I'm, why I'm working with this area is because i i believe um the society is becoming increasingly interconnected and complex and networks provide the most powerful framework to understand and manage this increasingly interconnected and complex environment. Um, and organizational network analysis, it's the application of this thinking to uh, human resources and change management. But the long-term implications are much broader. For example, um, I'm sure you have heard about decentralized autonomous organizations on the yeah. blockchain and uh, uh, alternative governance model. One of the main challenges that these type of organizations are, are facing is the you know, the problems when scaling up, how do you somehow replicate traditional decision-making processes in large multinationals to a setup where you have no hierarchy? Um, and I believe that the integration of social capital metrics in smart contracts uh, holds the key to help these decentralized autonomous organizations scale up. So uh, I, I, I really want to use networks to, on the one hand, help large centralized organizations behave more like startups, uh, behave in a more uh, decentralized and agile way. And at the same time, start creating that infrastructure for the future of work that is to come. Uh, that's really what, what excites me about, about networks. Well, and, and that's what excites me about this and, and, and why we invested. I mean, I, it, it reminds me of like um, Taylorism, which has a negative connotation sometimes, but Taylorism, the, the, the science of, you know, figuring out how, um, tasks in like a in a, a factory environment would be more efficient and things like that and 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 in the sort of modern um everything's the information space now everything's sort of uh these large organizations of people working together where it's like it's hard to it's hard to find the inefficiencies when it's not someone putting a widget on a thing that's going down an assembly line but it's people on slack it's people uh you know going to meetings and and having these interactions it's harder to quantify where the inefficiencies are this is why it's it, it's so exciting to me that this seems like a, a modern solution to to that problem can i give you one more that i i've always been curious about and and see what what you guys have seen that uh that that maybe people listening could use as an actionable insight um when i talk you know for like the internet history podcast and things like that about companies where uh, i'm, I'm going to use a specific example actually like every time apple has a new product they um like with the iphone all of a sudden everyone knew something was happening but they didn't know what it was and then all of a sudden people would disappear because they were grabbing all the a players and bringing them to the secret team and being like and so um i did an episode not too long ago with somebody at apple that was like i knew it was happening and no one was picking me and then one day i got the call and i went into the meeting and i finally got picked to go to the iphone team and i knew i was one of the a players if you're an organization, how you can't like, obviously you want to identify the A team. You want to identify your best performers, your most, you know, uh, connected, your, your, you, you want to avoid the bottlenecks, all that stuff, but not everyone's on the A team. So how do you manage like that sort of identifying of who is A team, B team, C team and manage things like people that feel like they're not on the A team? How do you manage their? sort of morale 
Do you know what I mean? Like, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a whole wide organization. And even the, the C team players need to be motivated and need to feel like that they're doing good work and, and, and that there's, you know, a future for them and, and, and excitement and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I, I love that you brought up Apple and, and Steve Jobs, um, with regards to this topic, because I think one of the things that differentiated Steve Jobs, uh, in this, basically in his own words is that even when Apple was already at, at a late stage, he still ran the company as a startup in the regard that he had uh, only a person in charge of each of the big departments. And he basically hired a bunch of bright people and let them uh, manage themselves and organize themselves. And great things happen when you give people collaborative freedom. Um, when startups uh, start their journey, there is a lot of collaborative freedom. You have basically a, a bunch of people that uh, organically want to work with each other. So you have the freedom to work with whom you want on what you want. That collaborative freedom is lost as the companies scale up their operations. In the moment that you have even uh, 25, 50, 100 employees, you start implementing um, managerial layers and, and already it's not about uh, working with whom you want, what you want, but working with whom you are told on what you are told. And to the extent that there is a, a gap between your uh, organic interactions and, and the work that you are assigned, then that impacts uh, a, a disengagement. And that's also, I believe that's, that's the key really to startups uh, uh, productivity and innovation compared to large multinationals. And that has led to the situation that we have nowadays where many multinationals increasingly depend on acquiring uh, startups to, to innovate. Uh, and it's really just because when multinationals have such a large site, they don't have the structure needed to provide their employees with the, co with the collaborative freedom they need to, to work in an effective and efficient manner. So how do you, going back to your question, uh, how do you uh, identify these A players and how you handle the other people? First of all, it's important that the, the, to define the concept of A player. An A player has to be somebody that is recognized as an informal leader by the whole organization. An A player cannot be exclusively defined by top management based on some uh, agreed criteria. And this goes back to the topic of um, hiding for cultural diversity or hiding for cultural fit, right? Um, if you hire people with a specific setup of, of values and, and, and behaviors, um, you, you're not really achieving that diversity of thought and, and, and diversity of behavior in the organization. And this is critical as well to achieve uh, organizational effectiveness and efficiency. You need to have people with very different profiles and let them uh, interact organically. And now once you observe what's going on in the organization, once you see, well, these guys, independently of the role that they have, independently of the time that they have spent in the organization, they are recognized as informal leaders by their peers. Now let's have a discussion on what to do with those guys. Um, are we going to uh, put them in a leadership development program? Are, they, are we going to position them as early adopters of changes? Are we going to um, basically give them the tools and resources that they need to, to amplify that impact that I was talking about earlier? 
And the people that are disconnected from the organization, they can leverage from additional exposure to these informal leaders. So for example, if you have a, a, a guy that is uh, working in a completely isolated way, you see that he's working remotely, that doesn't have any interactions across the organization, connect those people with informal leaders, you know, and, and but make sure the disconnections are, are, are taking place because in the context of remote work, we can have people completely isolated and nobody notices at all. And that's a challenge of the adoption of uh, hybrid work environments, something we're trying to mitigate through technology at the moment. Yeah, I mean, to, to sort of bring this to a, a close, like, again, this is why I, I'm so excited about what you're doing. We, by the way, you, we wrote the biggest check we've ever written uh, to, to CTS because we have so much conviction in what you're doing. And, and that conviction is that already in a modern workforce, understanding how teams and, and organizations and, and culture works is, is, is so important because it is now all people not all, but a lot of people behind screens and interacting and et cetera, et cetera. But especially now in these post-COVID times and this hybrid work environment, it, it is even more uh, valuable to have an understanding, a tangible, actionable understanding of um, of the efficiency and the effectiveness of of your human capital and things like that. Um, so that that's I'm I'm as excited about the 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 tools that you're providing to organizations and and the insights and that that this sort of a, a product can can offer um let, let's wrap it up by saying um you know there's thousands of people listening right now in organizations uh that could use this if they want to get in touch to learn more uh, I, it's cognitive talent solutions.com but if there's any other way to get in touch uh let me know about that but then also if you have an ask but even if people aren't in the market for this sort of thing, but uh, if you have an ask for helping um, CTS grow and evolve, um, please please share it with us now. Sure. I mean, this was our story. If it uh, resonated with you, feel free to get in touch. Uh, We're always looking for uh, introductions to potential client partners and investors. We have an ongoing round, um, a seed round, where we're raising up to $1 million. Uh, at the $10 million pre-money valuation in a price equity round. We have already committed 300 k and are really grateful for your participation leading the round through Right Home Fund. Uh, and yeah, always looking forward to connecting uh, with people that believe in our mission. Our mission is unleashing the power of organizational networks. Um, and anybody that, that feels identified with that, please get in touch and let's identify opportunities to work together. And I should say, uh, I, we probably can't talk too much about it, but some of your partners that uh, you've recently started working with and are, are in the pipeline um, are very exciting and very big. So again, uh, if you're out there and this sounds like a great uh, sort of tool for your organization, uh, get in touch and um, uh, Francisco and the team would love to work with you. So. Uh, thanks, thanks for thanks for sharing all that with us. Thanks for giving us such insight in terms of like you know um, organizations and and how they work in the modern way. It's 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 fantastic, and I I couldn't be uh, more proud to to be involved in this. Thanks, Brian. Really happy to be here today. 